Hello friends and shalom. This is Tom with Truth Ignited Ministry and this is the second of a two-part message where I'm seeking to answer this question. Is it dangerous to follow the Torah? I'm talking in response to a short video clip that I came across where in less than 10 minutes a prominent and widely respected Jewish Christian Bible teacher rattled off about every single antinomian statement you can think of. In this clip, the person ranted on and on about how Christians should not follow the Torah and anyone who does is going down a dangerous path. I'm evaluating and responding to the statements made by this person in this message. These, the, the things he said ranged from the same old arguments that are so easily refuted to some of the most absurd things I think I've ever heard from any anti-Torah message. So with that, let's pick up with the next point to address. And picking up where I left off in part one, the next concern given about Torah-positive beliefs is where this person said, said something about dressing like a Jew. You know, I can't even comprehend how this person said that people who follow the Torah begin to seek out Jewish identity and dress like a Jew and wear a yarmulke, which is also called a kippah, and, and other such things. I mean, to be honest, this statement sounds outright anti-Semitic. And, and I know the person who made these statements would be appalled at such an accusation that they are anti-Semitic. Look, this person said, and I agree, that, that a kippah has nothing to do with scripture. It, it is Jewish tradition, but, but at the same time, if someone sees value in his or her walk through such things, and, and it doesn't take away from their faith practice, I, I see no issue at all with, it, with doing it. There, there's not one thing wrong with a tradition so long as it does not violate scripture or is not treated as a commandment. You know, lighting candles on the Shabbat is, is a Jewish tradition. There, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not mandated anywhere in the scripture. Eating cheesecake for the Feast of Shavuot, or, or the Day of Pentecost, as some people prefer to call it, it is a tradition, and, and a rather good one, I might add. I, I'm not going to complain about that one. But, but nothing in the scripture mandates dairy foods for this biblical feast. It's just tradition. But there's nothing wrong with them. Putting a mezuzah on your doorpost is a tradition. You know, it's based on the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, you know, where it says to put the, the commandments of the Torah on the doorpost of your home. And it seeks to be an expression of the commandment. But, but it's still a tradition. Then... When we look at Christianity, there's also a lot of traditions. In fact, the overwhelming majority of what churches do is tradition that does not map back to the scriptures. But, but a good amount of Christian traditions do map to other religions. Seriously, what is more problematic and dangerous? Following traditions of the Jews that do not oppose the scripture and are often built on scripture or or following the traditions of Christianity that are not based in the scripture at all and entirely too often are tied to some pagan religion or, or some idolatrous religion. 
what, what seems of greater concern? Seeking Jewish identity because you realize that the Jewish people are the ones who wrote the Bible or seeking worldly identity as most Christians do because they seem to think that the way to win the world is to offer the world what the world already has. You know, but just sprinkle a little bit of religion in it. Romans 11, 17 through 24 is all about being grafted into the cultivative olive tree of Israel. Yeshua was Jewish. The apostles were Jewish. Pretty much everyone who wrote any part of the Bible, aside from maybe Job and Luke, were Hebrew people. And there are good and valid arguments that both of them, Job and Luke, were also Hebrew people. Though that's really not the focus here. There's not one thing at all wrong with embracing the culture and traditions of the people who descended from the writers of the Bible, so long as those things do not cause one to deviate from the actual requirements of the Torah. I'm not even going to say more on this point as it is such an absurd and anti-Semitic thing to say and the person who said it should be ashamed of themselves for it. But but the, then we come to the next point. It, it, it's a claim that the Torah is good, but not mandated. You know, from here, the person in, in this short anti-Torah rant video teaching takes a p passive stance in regard to things like keeping the Sabbath or, or following the food laws. If you want to keep the Sabbath on the seventh day of the week, fine. God bless you. But don't say it's mandatory for Christians to do so. You know, if you want to follow the food laws, you know, the New Testament apparently tells us this does not affect us spiritually, but fine, follow the food laws. God bless you. That's totally different than saying that God requires Gentile Christians to observe the law. This, this is the stuff that this person was saying. Let's take a look at some important passages that are often overlooked, seemingly intentionally, by people like this. Exodus 12, 49 says, The same Torah applies to the native as well as the outsider who dwells among you. Numbers 15, 16 says, The same Torah and the same regulations will apply to both you and the outsider residing among you. You know, you know, take a look at that word outsider. Some translations render it sojourner or stranger. In Hebrew, it's the word ger, and it's literally one of two Hebrew words used in reference to Gentiles. In this case, individual people. The other being goy, which speaks of an entire nation of people, not of a native Israelite bloodline. This means that in the Torah, it establishes that the Torah applies to both native Israelites and anyone else from any of the nations in the world who would come into covenant with the God of Israel. As this is in the Torah, it's a commandment. The same Torah applies to anyone and everyone who is in covenant. And then you got Ecclesiastes 12, 13, which from the Tree of Life version says, a final word when all has been heard, fear God and keep his mitzvot. For this applies to all mankind. And then if we turn to the complete Jewish Bible, another really good messianic translation, 
It says, here is the final conclusion. Now that you have heard everything, fear God and keep his mitzvot. This is what being human is all about. Now, I don't know about you, but I would tend to think that if the Bible says is saying something applies to all mankind, it means all mankind. And, and if it says something is what being human is all about, it's referring to anyone who is a human. If you dig down deeper into the Hebrew, it it's saying that keeping the commandments, the mitzvot, the Torah, applies to all Adams. This doesn't mean it only applies to people named Adam, of course. It means it applies to anyone who is a human being. Anyone descended from Adam. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Messiah Yeshua. 1 John 2, 5 and 6 says, We know that we are in him by this. Whoever claims to abide in him must walk just as he walked. Even here in the writings of the apostles, Paul and John to be specific, we see the same thing repeated, that there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Torah applies to the native-born and the ger. All are one in Messiah Yeshua. And, and as we saw in part one of this study, Yeshua and the Torah are synonymous. Those who abide in him Jew or Greek, native-born or ger, Gentiles, non-Jews, or non-Israelites to be more appropriate because when the Torah was given, there was no such thing as Jews. That's a whole other thing that came after the kingdom split following Solomon. They, everyone must walk as he walked. And, and, and he was a Torah-keeping Jewish rabbi who taught his followers to live by the Torah. Not a lawless Christian pastor telling people those same lies that Satan said in Eden about not being under the law and you won't really die and go to hell if you eat the pork or don't keep the Sabbath or don't celebrate the feast days or, or if you celebrate Christmas and Easter and Halloween, you know, don't worry about the pagan origins of them, you know, because we've redeemed the holidays, they say. They, they, they say they redeemed the holidays. Let me help you out a second. If you're claiming you've redeemed the holiday, you've forfeited your chance to redeem the person because you're leading them to do things that the Bible plainly says not to do. Look, be careful about these people that mock Torah keeping and, and make it sound like it's a dangerous path to go down. Not long ago, a pastor I know told me that shunning pagan ways and following the Torah is a dark and lonely hole. Well, uh, I've read Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, and Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 24. I, you know what? I am perfectly okay being in a lonely place of obeying the Bible if that's what obeying the Bible actually results in. I, I won't be lonely when I'm with the king, worshiping him day and night for all eternity, surrounded by everyone else who may have been alone in this life for their unabashed and determined keeping of the whole counsel of scripture. And by the way, 
just throw this in there. The bottomless pit spoken of in Revelation, you know, that's a dark and lonely hole. That's reserved for Satan, the lawless one, and all who follow him in lawlessness. Anti-Torah people. You're, you, you might think that it's a dark and lonely hole in this lifetime to follow the Torah, but in the life to come, you're going to be cast into a dark and lonely hole because you didn't follow the Torah. And that is what the Bible says. That's it. Revelation 14, 12, once again says, Here is the perseverance of the Kedoshim, the holy ones, those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. The verse continues to come up, but not without good reason. Are we Kedoshim? Are we the holy ones or are we not? Think about it. This verse doesn't say, here's the perseverance of the Jews. There's no distinction made here. And it's in the so-called New Testament. It's very clear that this is referring to anyone who is in covenant pursuit of holiness. These ideas that so-called Gentile Christians do not have to keep the Torah is built on a completely unbiblical belief that, that's even popular in Messianic Judaism. Those who hold to this seem to want to create some special identity which they feel they will lose if they concede to what scripture actually says that everyone is supposed to follow the Torah. What they're doing in actuality is robbing people of the desire of their father's heart and the blessing that comes with it. Don't ever listen to someone who preaches anti-Torah rhetoric. Scripture is clear. If you truly place your faith in Yeshua, that faith will include upholding the father's Torah. Jeremiah 31:32 and Hebrews 8:10 tell us that the sign and the seal of the new covenant is that the Torah will be put into the mind and written on the heart of the covenant believer. That which is in your mind will consume your thoughts and drive you to study it. That which is in your heart will drive your passions and cause you to do it. In the new covenant, the same Torah is put into the mind and written on the heart of the native born and the gear, neither Jew nor Greek, but all who are one in Messiah Yeshua. And studying the Torah and doing what it says applies to all mankind, all atoms, and it's what being human is all about. People like the one I'm refuting in this article saying, you know, God bless you if you want to do those things like keeping the Sabbath and the food laws, but don't you dare say that it's mandatory. You, you know, they are the deceivers of the same spirit as the Eden serpent. They're, they're liars and heretics. And if you listen to them, you may find yourself the recipient of the words, depart from me, I never knew you, worker of lawlessness Matthew 7:23 lawlessness is just another word for torahlessness just think about that yeshua said he's going to say depart from me i never knew you you didn't follow the torah now we come to one of my favorite questions from anti-torah people i'm being sarcastic here do you stone your children no, no, look, this, just, this one just drives me crazy. It, you know, it, it, 
it makes me bonkers, man. It drives me up the wall. You know, people say this, they ask it, and, and the person who made this little video message that in less than 10 minutes spewed out more blasphemy and heresy than I've heard by most Christian preachers throughout the whole of all their teachings, you know, they say that to rob positive believers, pick and choose what they follow for, for the most part. Uh, are you stoning your children? Are you living by the purity laws for women? Do you dig a hole in your backyard every time you have to poop? P people, they pick out those commandments and they make it sound like we're not following the Torah if we don't dig a hole in our backyard and poop in it like a dog. Now, now, I'm not going to speak in great detail about the purity laws for women. This is really a topic that should be discussed among women with a woman who is learned in the scripture and the commandments pertaining to this. But there is no reason why these commandments cannot be kept in some capacity today. And I really wonder about people who desire certain activities during certain times. And that's all I'm gonna say about that. In similar fashion, there seems no real need to go too deep into the commandment of Deuteronomy 23 verses 13 through 14, but if you read the context, starting in verse 10, it's dealing specifically with an army going to battle. It does not prohibit modern plumbing or demand that regular people dig a hole in their backyard every time they need to go. Also, even in modern times, members of an army are often issued a small shovel tool for this exact same purpose when they deploy to missions in remote areas where they don't have access to indoor plumbing. So nothing more really needs to be said about this either. But let's talk about this stoning your children thing. And really, all capital punishment offenses of the Torah, as breaking the Sabbath and numerous other offenses, also warranted the death penalty, stoning. Exodus 31.15, in many English translations, says something along the line of, whoever does any work on the Sabbath must be put to death. Antinomians love to bring this up as if it's the ultimate proof that the Torah-positive believers aren't really keeping that Torah. So, so, you know, because we don't stone our children when they act foolish or, or we don't stone people who break the Sabbath, you know, including the 2.4 billion Christians who think that Sunday is their Sabbath or Jesus is their Sabbath. You know, it somehow means that we're not really following the Torah because it, it says that we're supposed to kill them all, whoever commits these heinous acts against the Torah. F first of all, the antinomian Christians who make this argument are inconsistent with it. Adultery, like the Sabbath, is one of the Ten Commandments. Both breaking the Sabbath and committing adultery are offenses that authorize capital punishment. I've never once in my life heard a Christian say that it's okay to commit adultery now and everyone who wants to engage in such behavior is free to do so because we don't or can't legally stone adulterers. Lack of enforcing capital punishment for committing adultery does not invalidate the commandment. So why should it invalidate the Sabbath or determine how we discipline our children? All of this shows that Christians actually do believe commandments are to be kept even if we don't enact the authorized death penalty for breaking them. But, but they're inconsistent in how they use this logic and, and apply a different hermeneutic to commandments they believe in keeping from those that they don't. Other Torah offenses that warranted the death penalty, like murder, adultery, 
and witchcraft continue to be regarded as sin. So why is something like breaking the Sabbath somehow not a sin? Another important point is that stoning was optional for most violations that authorized the death penalty, with one exception, cold-blooded murder. Whenever a matter that could result in the death penalty was committed, it was brought before the court of the Sanhedrin and a ruling was issued. Typically, a lesser sentence would have been imposed. We see this through some ancient Jewish writings outside of scripture. Mishnah Makot chapter 1 verse 10 says that a Sanhedrin court who would order the execution of more than one person in seven years is a bloodthirsty generation or a destructive tribunal. The text goes on to say that a rabbi named Eleazar ben Azariah went further in saying that if they executed more than one offender in 70 years, they were a murderous court. In other words, Torah keeping Israel is following the whole council of the Torah historically looked for every way possible not to impose the death penalty when someone was brought to trial for, for any of these stonable offenses. And this is all based on the entire Torah, not just the portion that says to stone them, isolated from the whole context. It should be noted, however, that another rabbi, Shimon ben Gamliel, is also recorded in Makot as saying that it is important not to go too far in the direction of non-execution of capital punishment so that it doesn't lose its power of deterrent. In other words, people are more likely to carry out a crime if they believe the sentence will be lenient, and that only if they are caught and sent to trial. All things should be done with proper balance, and while it's right to not impose the harshest of sentences on every offender, it is also necessary to impose it on some. This is why Torah established such a court system for these cases and why it's against the Torah for the average believer to invoke a vigilante form of justice. You know, if you just willy-nilly stoned your children because they were acting foolish, you're actually going to be violating the Torah. There are numerous prerequisites that must be met in order for the death penalty to be carried out for a Torah violation. As we know from the cited Mishnah passage, there has to be a Sanhedrin court in Israel to hear cases and rule whether or not the death penalty is to be carried out. This does not exist today, and even if it did, most of us do not live in Israel. Therefore, because we cannot follow the required judicial process needed to determine if the death penalty is to be carried out, we would be breaking the Torah to execute such a judgment through our own ruling. This is similar to people in Torah-positive circles that think that they figured out a better calendar to determine feast days, or, or who used the sighted moon tradition, for example, which is actually not found in scripture to determine a new month. These things were given a final ruling through the Hillel II calendar under the authority of the Sanhedrin prior to its disbanding. So to use any other system even if you truly believe it's what people in the Bible used or what Yeshua himself may have used, it actually makes you a transgressor of the Torah because obedience is better than sacrifice and we know what the final ruling was. 
Only a reinstated Sanhedrin or the returning Messiah himself has the authority to overturn the Hillel II calendar per the Torah, per the, the guidance of the Torah. And, and that's for, you know, a, a whole other discussion. You know, and now we can make exceptions if something is clear in the Torah and differs from the Hillel II calendar, but most things don't. You, you, you know, like the day we st start to count to Shavuot is a good example. You know, the Torah in Leviticus 23 seems clear that this begins following the weekly Sabbath within the Days of Unleavened Bread and not the day after Passover as modern Judaism would have us to believe. And, and you know, this, is all, this can all be demonstrated through looking at every indication we see in the passage. You know, but I can assure you, nothing in scripture even hints at the cited moon tradition. So it would be a violation of the Torah for laymen to create their own calendar system just as much as it is for laymen to enact the death penalty on someone who may have committed an offense that warrants it. If you're not an authorized member of a Torah-based Sanhedrin court, or if you're not the Messiah, then, then there are things you are not allowed to make a ruling on. It really doesn't matter how well you think you know the Torah or the history. This is a major driving factor in why Yeshua did not enforce stoning the woman caught in adultery. It, it wasn't because he was overturning the Torah. It was because he was upholding the Torah. He knew that if she were stoned without the proper court proceedings, it would violate the Torah. And he knew that the consensus view was that the death penalty is to be the absolute last resort reserved for the worst of the worst. The religious leaders who brought the woman to him were trying to trap him and he saw right through it. But he wasn't changing the Torah. On the contrary, he was following the Torah to give us an example to follow the Torah as he did walking as he walked. In modern day society, the death penalty is still in place for certain offenses and some of those might even mirror the ones in the Torah, you know, like murder. But, but in order for the sentence to be carried out specifically because it was a Torah violation, certain prerequisites must be met and currently some of them cannot be met this would mean that if you tried to stone someone for breaking the torah in some area you would be breaking the torah by stoning them yeshua knew this and i know this and, and that's why he didn't stone the woman caught in adultery he knew they were trying to get him to break the torah by stoning the woman which was fully allowed for her crime by executing the penalty without following the proper protocols when people try to argue with these straw man questions it shows that they just have not dug very deep into these passages you, you know i recently had someone ask me about leveret marriage you know the thing in deuteronomy where you you have a kid with your brother's wife if he dies. You know, it's funny because if you read the whole thing, it specifically says that the two brothers need to be living together and the one who dies does not have a son. So, if you can show me in modern society two brothers who are married and live together in the same house with their wives and any kids they may already have and one dies before having a son, and I'll add in that both of them are fully 
Torah positive people, Torah positive believers, covenant believers, perhaps then we could talk about whether or not the leveret marriage rule should be enacted. Good luck finding that scenario. Now, now here's another favorite of my anti-Torah theology. And again, I'm being sarcastic here, but you know, I, I just love when they come up with these silly, silly things that they say. This one here. Don't you know what Galatians says? Haven't you ever read the book of Galatians? You know, to, to bring this toward a close, the person in the video brings up the book of Galatians as well as Colossians 2, verses 16 through 17. Now, I'll briefly get to Colossians in a moment, but let's take some time to talk about Galatians. If you're a person who endorses keeping the Torah, which really boils down to keeping the Sabbath, the feast days, the food laws, and calling Christmas and Easter pagan holidays because Christians tend to actually uphold most of the Torah anyway, you have almost certainly had someone object to you with the whole foolish Galatians, you have fallen from grace line and asked, haven't you ever read Galatians? Yes. Yes, I have read Galatians. Now, I've got some questions from my Christian friends and people like the Bible scholar who made this video with all of these points that I'm addressing. I've read Galatians. So I'm going to ask you this. Paul also wrote Romans. Have you read Romans? Romans 2.13, it says, For it is not the hearers of the Torah who are righteous before God, rather it is the doers of the Torah who will be justified. Romans 2.18, it says, We know his will and determine what matters because you are instructed from the Torah. Romans 2.20, Having in the Torah the embodiment of knowledge and the truth. Romans 2, 25 through 29 tells us that keeping the Torah is evidence of being circumcised in the heart. Romans 3, 20 says, for through the Torah comes the awareness of sin. Romans 3, 21 says that the Torah and the prophets are a witness to Yeshua. Romans 3, 31, Paul asks and answers, do we then nullify the Torah through faithfulness? May it never be. On the contrary, we uphold the Torah. Romans 6.16 Do you not know that whatever you yield yourselves to as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to what you obey, whether to sin resulting in death or to obedience resulting in righteousness? Romans 7.7 7. Paul again asks and answers, What shall we say then? Is the Torah sin? May it never be! On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the Torah, for I would not have known about coveting if the Torah had not said, you shall not covet. And again, he's not isolating one thing. He wouldn't have known that pork is unclean had the Torah said, don't eat pork. He wouldn't have known that the Sabbath is the seventh day of a biblical week, according to Genesis chapter 2, had the Torah not said, remember the Sabbath day. In Romans 7.12, Paul calls the Torah holy and righteous and good. In Romans 7.22, Paul says he delights in the Torah of God. In Romans 8.7, Paul says that it is a fleshly mindset, hostile toward God, that is not submitted to the Torah. 
In Romans 13.10, it says, Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fullness of the Torah. Isn't it amazing that the same person who wrote what some people think is the ultimate antinomian proof text of Galatians had all of these things to say in Romans? But, but let's not stop there. Have you read First and Second Corinthians? You know, they want to ask me if I've read Galatians. Have you read First and Second Corinthians, where Paul, the same guy who wrote Galatians, admonished believers to keep the feasts? 1 Corinthians 5, 6, 3. He specifically mentions Passover and unleavened bread. He's talking about the feasts of the Torah and, and touch no unclean thing. 2 Corinthians 6.17. You know, if you look up Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14 in the Septuagint, a translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek by commissioned Jewish sages before the time of Yeshua, they use the same Greek word for unclean that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians when they translated Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. Paul was quoting Isaiah when he said that. And, and the only references to unclean things Isaiah made were in regard to the food loss. You know, often I hear people respond to 2 Corinthians 6.17. You know, they can't be talking about the food loss because of what they what they think is in the context of the chapter. You know, they say, well, that's the, the context isn't talking about the food loss. You know, but the whole chapter is about how there cannot be a partnership between righteousness and lawlessness, verse 14, and other such things. You know, Paul was absolutely talking about the food laws, even if among other unclean things in verse 17. Righteousness, again, Deuteronomy 6.25 defines righteousness as obeying the Torah, and 1 John 3.4 defines lawlessness as breaking the Torah. In verse 14, Paul is saying that there can be no partnership between Torah-keeping lifestyles and Torah-breaking lifestyles. Don't tell me that he wasn't talking about the food laws when he said, touch no unclean thing. He was a Torah-keeping Jew. He understood what touch no unclean thing means in context. Have you, here's one, have you read the writings of John, another of the apostles? You know, have you read Galatians? Well, yeah, I've read Galatians. Have you read John? 1 John 2, 4 through 6, it says, The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God is truly made perfect. We know that we're in him by this. Whoever claims to abide in him must walk just as he walked. 1 John 3, 4, complete Jewish Bible I'll read this one from it says everyone who keeps sinning is violating the Torah indeed sin is the violation of the Torah Revelation 12 17 John wrote Revelation as well and it says that the people Satan wages war against are those who both follow Yeshua and keep the Torah Satan ain't attacking all the Christians that are in the antinomian churches. He, he likes where they're at. They are exactly where they want him, where he wants them to be. They're in an antinomian environment. Even if it's partially antinomian, he's ex they're exactly where he wants them to be. He has no reason to wage war against the Christians. 
And the Bible says that that's not who he wages war against. He wages war against the few people on this planet who dare to follow both Yeshua and the Torah together. Revelation 14.12, it says that the holy ones or the set apart ones are those who both follow Yeshua and keep the Torah. Revelation 22.14 says that it's those who keep the Torah who will be given access to eat of the tree of life. Have you ever read the teachings of Yeshua, the Messiah, who defined loving him as keeping the commandments? John 14, 15, and 21. If you want to enter into life, you must keep the commandments. Matthew 19, 17. And those who live by the Torah and teach others to do the same will be called greatest in his kingdom. Matthew 5, 19. Sometimes Christians will actually object to these statements by saying that Yeshua said these things prior to his crucifixion under the old covenant. Never once, however, did he ever say, once I'm crucified and rise again, you can ignore everything I ever told you about Torah keeping. Nor did he say after his resurrection that we could throw out everything he taught prior to his crucifixion. Yeshua is the Messiah. Just take a moment to think about how absurd it is for Christians to dismiss the words of the Messiah because they think Galatians somehow overrides them. You know, around the middle of the 2nd century AD, a heretic named Marcion decided that the only writings that should be canonized as scripture were Luke's gospel and most of Paul's letters, all of which were to be edited so that they would be less Jewish. You know, they were, he wanted to have all of the stuff that was Torah positive redacted from those writings. The have you read Galatians thing is way more absurd than Marcionism because it essentially makes Galatians the foundation of the Bible and all other books of the Bible must now conform to the antinomian interpretation of Galatians instead of trying to harmonize Galatians with the rest of the Bible. If a Bible verse, book of the Bible, or even the writings of a single Bible author appear to go against everything else in the Bible and the context of the whole council of scripture, the proper approach is to say that you are reading that verse, that book, or that author wrong and seek to understand them in harmony with the rest of God's word. Have I read Galatians? Yes, I have. Have you read the Bible? Have you read all of the other 65 books of the Bible that conflict with the antinomian view of Galatians, including the other letters of, that were written by Paul, like the ones I just examined with you? Galatians is not the only book in the Bible, and Paul is not the sole author of Scripture. The person who made the video that I watched that inspired this message said that Torah positive people turned Galatians upside down in its meaning. Excuse me, but don't you think that's a little backwards? In order to hold a view that Galatians is the proof text of your antinomianism, you have to take every other book in the Bible and turn all of them upside down in their meaning. You have to go against the whole council of scripture in order for Galatians to mean what lawless Christianity wants it to mean. Yes. I've read Galatians. I've read it in the context of a Bible that from cover to cover tells us to obey God's commandments. 
questioning, rejecting, and breaking the commandments was initiated in Genesis chapter 3 with the words of the serpent and the book of Revelation that most people consider to be describing events in the yet-to-come future is still telling people to keep God's commandments. The prophets tell us that the Sabbath, the feasts, and the food laws, the very things at the top of the list of commandments Christianity claims that we no longer have to follow, will all be kept in the millennium. The Bible literally says that the sign and the seal of the new covenant is the Torah put into the mind and written on the heart of the covenant believer. Again, Jeremiah 31, 32, Hebrews 8, 10. And that in the new covenant, God will put his spirit in us to cause us to walk in his laws. Ezekiel 36, 27. Those laws being the Torah that is in our mind and on our heart. So yes, I've read Galatians. Have you read anything in the Bible other than Galatians? Have you read Galatians in context? Have you read Galatians in harmony with the rest of the Bible? Or are you just so determined that it goes against the rest of the Bible because in your heart and in, in your mind, you just don't want to obey the simplest of commandments? As I mentioned before I wrap this up, this person also brought up Colossians 2, 16 and 17, stating that it's a warning against putting Gentile believers under pressure to keep things like the Sabbath. You know, these are a shadow, is what the speaker said. So, sometime back, I put out an article titled, Living Under the Shadow, and, and you can find that at www.truthignited.com. And, and I go into depth on the context of this passage. I, I would recommend reading it if you want to study beyond the points I'm, I'm going to make here. But, but to highlight a few things about the context of Paul's statements in Colossians chapter 2. First, we find an important part of the context in Colossians 2, 8, where it says, See that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men and the basic principles of the world rather than Messiah. The things commanded in the Torah are not traditions of men and basic principles of the world, and they're certainly not the philosophy of pagan Rome nor empty deceptions. Second point, the, the letter to the Colossians was addressed to a fellowship composed primarily of people who converted out of the pagan worship of the Roman religion. The, the judgment Paul was admonishing them not to be discouraged by was the mockery of the pagans they walked away from, ridiculing them for keeping of such Torah basics as the Leviticus 11 food laws, the Leviticus 23 feast days, the new month festivals, the Sabbath day. You have to turn Colossians upside down in its meaning to say that verses 16 and 17 are against keeping these Torah basics. Colossians 2.14 speaks of the handwritten record of debts that was against us. Now, many in the antinomian world view this as a reference to the Torah. However, Paul used a specific Greek word here that's only used this one time in all of his writings, and it's karographon. This was a legal term used in the Greco-Roman world that referred to a list of charges against someone being tried for their crimes. It's basically a written record of a person's law-breaking. In other words, Paul was saying that the record of our sin 
or transgressions against the Torah gets nailed to the cross when we repent, turn from our sin, and commit to living by the Torah. The proper understanding of this verse is the exact opposite of what most Christians believe it means. It's telling us to stop breaking the Torah through faith in Yeshua so that our past transgressions of the Torah can be nailed to the cross, not the Torah itself. You know, Paul was not saying that it was the Torah that was nailed to the cross, so we don't have to do what it says anymore. If Paul was speaking against the traditions of man and principles of the world in verse 8, then speaking in favor of upholding the Torah in verse 14, then it only stands to reason that verses 16 and 17 are an encouragement to keep these elements of the Torah, the food laws, the Sabbath, the feasts, etc., no matter what happens and no matter who doesn't like you for it, no matter who makes fun of you or mocks you or calls you a religious fanatic or, or any of these other things, calls you a Judaizer because you follow the Torah. Last, Colossians 2.17 says these things are a foreshadowing of things to come. It does not say these things were a foreshadowing of things already come. Paul wrote this passage long after the resurrection. If he was trying to say that because of the resurrection, we no longer have to follow the food laws or keep the Sabbath or celebrate the feast, he sure did have a weird way of saying it, especially when he told the Corinthians to keep the feasts and to touch no unclean thing. These antinomian interpretations of Paul's writings make him out to be bipolar or schizophrenic or something. That, you know, they, they make his teachings inconsistent in telling people to obey the Torah and other people to reject the Torah. But I can assure you that a proper reading of Paul's writings is consistently pronomian through and through. We see this in Peter's warning that lawless men are the ones who twist and manipulate Paul's words. Lawless men would be the exact opposite of Torah-keeping believers. Look, folks, following the Torah is not dangerous. I I've got to say, I I'm just still beside myself that, that there is even a need to give a message like this, to, to respond to a very popular Jewish of all things, Bible teacher regarded as a scholar by many. I, I, I can feel the burden that Tertullian must have felt when he was writing against the heretics of his day, you know, like Marcion and Praxius and Hermonagus and the Valentinians. Well, while I will maintain not to identify the person who made the short video with, with all of the points that I've refuted in these two messages, I, I will say that this is a person with a legitimate earned doctorate degree who reaches a large audience of Christians and even identifies as being Jewish. Yet I can only declare the person to be a heretic for saying all of those things in less than 10 minutes, just, just rattling off like, like he's right. He was wrong about every single point that he said. Some might say that this is too harsh of a ruling and, and that I should consider other things that a person teaches. Well, that's the thing about deceivers and heretics, though. They tend to teach a lot of things that are solid and true, but those truths merely serve to lead you toward acceptance of the heresies. 
I've had people tell me, you know, truth is truth, no matter the source. But the source really does matter. I've heard preachers quote Muslim scholars and people defend them saying truth is truth, but that truth is serving to lead you into Islam. It's the same with those who use truth to, to hide behind while living some kind of sinful lifestyle. Not all truth is the same and the source matters and heretics will use truth to gain trust before they deceive you. And sometimes they're deceived themselves and they don't even know that they're doing this. You know, this, this person that I'm responding to might not even know what he's actually doing. The source of any statement of truth really does matter and heretics are heretics and deceivers are deceivers no matter how much truth they pile on top of their lies. Every single person who played a role in writing the Bible believed in living according to the Torah. Every single one of them. They all kept the Sabbath day. You know, read the book of Acts. 85 Sabbath days are documented in the book of Acts as being kept by the people who wrote the New Testament. They all kept the Sabbath day. Biblically, on the seventh day of the biblical week, which corresponds with sunset Friday to sunset Saturday on modern secular calendars. They all celebrated the biblical feast days. You know, we see Paul in the book of Acts saying, I, I gotta get to Jerusalem at the time of the feast. I gotta get there. We see Paul telling the Corinthians, keep the feast days, keep them. You, you know, they all adhere to the Leviticus food laws. You know, Acts chapter 10, Peter said, I've never eaten the unclean things. That was over a decade after the time of Yeshua. And, and, and Paul, we see Paul in the book of Acts that, that he was purified to go into the temple to make sacrifices. He couldn't do that if he was running around eating swine flesh because he believed that we're no longer under the law. You know, they, they all shunned the various pagan religion religious practices of the nations. We see examples of them opposing Roman paganism. They were wholly committed to a holy following of the Torah. People who say the kind of ludicrous and ridiculous things that I've rebutted in this message are the voices of the Genesis 3 serpent. You can feel the hissing of the serpent's slithery tongue in the words of the, the, the deception that they teach, telling you that it's wrong to teach obedience to God's commandments and that following the Torah is a dangerous path. Uh, you know, I fear for the great deceivers of religion when, when they have their turn at the throne of judgment. You, you know, I realize that Matthew 5.19 says that those who might teach against the Torah will be called least in the kingdom, indicating that, you know, at least maybe they'll get in you know, if they meet some minimum requirement. But, but James 3.1 says that those who hold an official teacher position in this lifetime will fall into a stricter judgment. I, I don't want to say anything determinative as that role belongs to God alone, but I have a hard time wrapping my head around the idea that someone who can utter such heretical nonsense as what I have spoken against in this series of messages will actually make it beyond the judgment seat. You know, you know, I feel like if there is anyone who will hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you, worker of lawlessness, it would be a teacher of lawlessness who made the statements that I've addressed herein. I can only hope that I'm wrong, or, or, or if I'm right, that this person repents. 
Yeshua said, how narrow is the gate and difficult the way that leads to life and those who find it are few. Matthew 7, 13. Psalm 119, 1 says, blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the Torah of Adonai. And John 10, 7 through 9 tells us that Yeshua is the gate. The way of Torah might be difficult and may be the path of the few, but I assure you, it's not dangerous. What is dangerous is to hop and skip along that broad path of religion that rejects the Torah as popular Christianity does, or rejects Yeshua as the Messiah as Orthodox Judaism does, or, or rejects both, rejects, just, just rejects the entirety of, of the Bible as pretty much all of the other religions of the nations do. The most dangerous thing to, is to listen to people who would dare to tell you that it's dangerous to follow the Torah and then proceed to twist and manipulate scripture to convince you. That's literally exactly what Satan did in the Garden of Eden. Again, as I so often say, there's a lawless one and a righteous one listed in the Bible. Satan is the lawless one, and his agenda from cover to cover in the biblical narrative is to lead people against the commandments of God. In contrast, Yeshua is the righteous one, and his message consistently through the gospel record was that his followers are to live by the Torah. If you cannot, through that alone, see that the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, the prophets, the apostles, and the preachers of Christianity trying to lead you against the Torah are nothing more than servants of Satan, I, I really don't know what else I can tell you. We must constantly be on guard and watching for deceivers and liars who say the kinds of things I've addressed in this message. Too many people are led astray by every wind of doctrine. They're like the tumbleweeds in the desert. Anything that sounds good and is said by some credentialed preacher or or teacher or popular preacher or teacher is taken as Bible and nobody bothers to call them on it. Well, I'm calling it out for what it is. It's blasphemy and it's heresy. It's not dangerous to follow the Torah. Yeshua taught his followers to follow the Torah. And we are told quite emphatically that as his followers, we must walk as he walked. 1 John 2, 6. The danger of religion lies in following those who say we have no obligation to follow the Torah. They're teaching the exact opposite of what our Messiah taught. They're turning the whole council of scripture upside down in its meaning and reinterpreting the intent of those Torah-keeping Hebrew people who wrote the Bible. And that is a dangerous path to follow. Hey, friends. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. If this message has impacted you, please feel free to share it with others. If you're enjoying these teachings, be sure to subscribe and consider becoming a $4.99 or $9.99 monthly partner. If you want to make a larger donation, please contact ministry at truthignited.com. If you're interested in more teachings like this from Truth Ignited Ministry, be sure to check out the website at www.truthignited.com and follow Truth Ignited on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.
I'll see you next time. Blessings and shalom.